0: What a great God we do have. What a great God we can know and serve. That's our privilege, and that's what He deserves, our all. Amen? All right, so, uh, yeah, we are start continuing on in our Doctrine for the Day-to-Day series, and today wraps up the first half of the series. We'll have three more weeks after this, uh, but this wraps up the section as it relates to our great God that we just Saying about. And as Matthew said at the beginning, we've been talking about God the Father. Last week, God the Son, Jesus our Savior. And today, uh, we're going to wrap up this section by talking about the third person of the Trinity, God the Holy Spirit. And that's what pneumatology is. It's, it's the study of God the Holy Spirit. And just as with our discussion and study about God the Father and God the Son, this is by no means an exhaustive study. Uh, That would pretty much be impossible, uh, and certainly we would need a lot more time than what we have for that. Uh, So this is going to be kind of highlights of just some of the very key aspects of God the Holy Spirit, of His specific personhood. So that's where we are today, the study of God the Holy Spirit. And as we jump into this, uh, we need to understand a couple of the things that God the Holy Spirit is not, things that are not true of the Holy Spirit, before we look at the things that are. So uh, first off, uh, I need you to uh, understand and keep in mind and remember that uh, the Holy Spirit is not what Yoda is always talking about. The Holy Spirit is not a force. He is not some, some force, some mystical force, some power f- system, you know, uh, uh, this force field of energy. Um, that is not what the Holy Spirit is. Sorry, Yoda, but not sorry. Um, the Holy Spirit is also, uh, he's a divine person. So it's he not it. We need to refer to the Holy Spirit as He, not it. He is not an it. He's not a thing. He is a divine person. And the reason that's so important to understand is because as a divine person, He, like the Father and like the Son, is grieved, can be grieved, hurt in His heart by our sin. The Bible clearly tells us that in Ephesians 4, 30, where we're challenged and commanded not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God uh, by our sinful choices and our sinful actions. A thing and it can't be grieved. That's something that only a person can, can experience. And so the Holy Spirit can, in fact, be grieved by our sin. He also, kind of connected to that, He can be lied to. He can be personally lied to. That's something that an it or a thing can't experience either. But the Holy Spirit, as a divine person, can be lied to, and he was. In Acts chapter 5, verse 4, Peter challenges and directly Ananias and Sapphira for their lies to the Holy Spirit. And he says, By keeping back this money and lying about the amount you gave, you didn't just lie to men, you lied to God, the Holy Spirit. And so, that's something important to keep in mind for all of us. The Holy Spirit is a divine person. He, not it. So He's not a force, and He's not an it. Right? Those are the things He, he is not. Now, let's, let's talk a bit about what He is, what is absolutely true of Him, and what we can celebrate and honor and glorify. The Holy Spirit is eternally equal with the Father and the Son, eternally equal with the Father and the Son, not inferior in any way. Uh, We can't mistake the order that's present in the Trinity as somehow uh, designating some inferiority or superiority between the members of the Trinity. Uh, We refer to the Father as the first person of the Trinity, and we refer to Jesus the Son as the second person, and the Holy Spirit as the third. But that doesn't mean one is, is greater than the other, or uh, superior than the other, or has something more that the other does not. That's not the case at all. It's a functional order, it's a, a role order, um, it's, it's an organizational order that exists within the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is eternally equal with the Father and the Son. And that means, practically, that the Holy Spirit, church, deserves equal honor. And equal worship. You know, we're, we're, I think, pretty good at understanding we, we really need to worship God the Father and honor Him, and, and we understand how important it is to honor and worship God the Son, Jesus. But it's very easy for us, especially of this particular faith tradition, it's very easy for us to neglect or ignore outright The Holy Spirit, kind of to relegate him, kind of back behind the scenes, treat him like an afterthought. It's very easy for us to do that. We need to recognize that. We need to acknowledge that. We need to repent of that, because the Holy Spirit, being fully God, deserves our full worship and our full devotion, our full honor, and He deserves all the same glory that we give the Father and the Son. Um, I. I have a little diagram for you, and I used this on my introductory video a few weeks ago as I was getting ready for this series, and I posted that on YouTube and shared that. I hope you were able to see that intro video. I think this diagram is very, very helpful. As we've been talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, it's important to understand that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are specific divine persons, So the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. Okay, They are their own persons, but they are one divine being. They're one divine substance. They share the same nature, the same character, the same divinity. They have the same power and ability. They share in the same purpose. They have the same desires. They share the same will. So the Father is God. The Son is God, the Spirit is God, but they, that does not mean they are the same as the other person, okay? So very, very helpful concept to keep in mind and uh, just to remember and, and as to approach God this way uh, because that's exactly how He is revealed all through Scripture. So uh, just some things, foundational things to keep in mind and be aware of and remember. Focusing again specifically on the Holy Spirit, uh, that's what our focus is today. And so we've established now that He is a, divi- a divine person, not it. We've established that He's eternally equal with the Father and the Son. And what I want us to do now is to look at what the Holy Spirit does, His activity, His work, His role, what He has done, what He does. Okay? Um, the Holy Spirit, we see Him actually right at the beginning of Scripture very early on, right as we open up Scripture and we see this incredible, beautiful, complex narrative that we call Scripture, the the story of God and the story of us, we see the Holy Spirit right at the beginning. The Holy Spirit was directly involved in the work of creation. I think sometimes we forget that. But the Holy Spirit was directly involved personally involved in the work of creation. Genesis 1-2 tells us that. Here's what Genesis 1-2 says. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And here's the really important part of this verse. And the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the surface of the waters. And that, that hovering there, that literally means vibrating the waters, pulsating, vibrating the waters. What's that all about? Well, we've already talked about how the Father planned and willed creation, right? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Last week, we talked about how the Son, Jesus, carried out that plan by actually doing the creating. He's the actual literal creator. And what this verse reveals to us is that it was the Holy Spirit that applied the power of of the creation. That awesome power that only God has and only God could use. The power that Jesus actually used to create and carry out that plan of creation by the Father. It's the Holy Spirit that applied that power. The power of creation. And He stabilized and dispersed all that supernatural energy. I mean, think about all the power and the energy that had to go into actually creating everything from nothing. You know, we, we talk, you all know about the, the fallacy, the Big Bang, right? I mean, unfortunately, that's, that's taught as fact in, in all the public schools and all the university. And the, the concept of the Big Bang. I mean, even theistic evolution where, uh, Christians try to kind of bridge the gap between faith and science. And, and so theistic evolution says that God even used the Big Bang to do creating. That's not true at all. The Bible is clear echoed over and over again, that God created everything out of nothing. There was nothing at all, no matter, no molecules, no substance that was already existing that God used to simply expand and create everything. No, there was no substance whatsoever, nothing, only God. And out of nothing, God created everything, the galaxies and and our planet, and, and plant life, and marine life, and animal life, and us, everything out of nothing. And just think about all the supernatural power and energy that had to be used and, and done to do all that. Incredible, right? I mean, there's no way we can even comprehend the level of power that we're talking about here. So what the Holy Spirit did is, in His hovering, His his pulsating and vibrating the surface of this unformed substance is He was stabilizing and dispersing and balancing all of that energy and power, preparing the formless earth for life. Isn't that awesome? That's incredible. It's something only God could do. And to, to really kind of help us understand what was really going on here, uh, we need to understand a little bit about the original Hebrew that this was written in. The original Hebrew in this verse creates a beautiful word picture to describe what the Spirit was doing when, in our English, we read, He was hovering over the surface of the deep. The word picture that's used to describe that in the Hebrew is, it's the same thing that happens when a mother bird... Hovers or, and broods over her eggs, over her nest. You know, caring for them and preparing for the new life that's getting ready to come, preparing her nest, preparing the eggs themselves, just keeping them safe, keeping them cared for. Um, it's really like the nesting, the nesting phase, all you moms have done. You know what that's all about. You know, when you're nesting, you're getting your home ready, you're getting everything ready for the, the soon-to-come new life that is going to be your precious precious child. Um, that's the word picture that's, that's on display here. That's what the Holy Spirit was doing. Caring for, preparing for, stabilizing the earth, getting it ready for the miraculous new life that was getting ready to come about, uh, all by the power of, of Jesus, the Creator. Um, later in Scripture, in Luke 1.34, when Mary asks Gabriel how it's going to be possible for her to, to give birth to Jesus, Gabriel answers her in verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, in that dialogue, the verb in Greek... That Gabriel used to describe um, the, the Holy Spirit coming upon her when he said, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Church, it's the same concept and the same picture found in Genesis 1 2. It's, it's God the Holy Spirit applying God's supernatural power to bring about miraculous new life. I just think that's incredible. Don't you think so? I mean, who, who but God could do this? The answer is no one. No one. And this is the God we're talking about, specifically God, the Holy Spirit. It's what He does. He applies the, the miraculous life-giving power of God, um, making it possible to experience and making it possible to happen. But His work, as awesome as it was there at the beginning and and in terms of creation, His work definitely wasn't limited just to creation. The Holy Spirit's involvement, His role, His work, His power, it wasn't limited to creation. The Holy Spirit is directly involved in salvation. He's directly involved in salvation, It's not something that's limited to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, God the Son. Look with me at Titus chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 7. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. And Scripture there says this, "...when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appear," and that's actually speaking of God the Father, His goodness, His loving kindness, and the salvation that that He presented through His Son. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. That's not how we are saved. Not by any righteous, good work on our part. We know that can't happen. Um, Paul clears that up for us too in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. We know that's not the case. In us, by ourselves, there's nothing good in us that merits salvation or could produce it. So it's not by works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of, you tell me, of whom? Of the Holy Spirit. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's how we experience and receive salvation. Verse 6, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom He, God the Father, poured out on us richly, extravagantly, through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you see the Trinity again on display here? Just like at creation? You should. That's what it's talking about right here. God the Father gave this incredible undeserved salvation, not by our righteousness, not by work, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of, of regeneration and renewal from the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us through Jesus Christ. So the Holy Spirit is directly involved In salvation, verse 7 says that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So, not only does he save us from sin, and it's not only does the Holy Spirit apply that salvation, but he also, God also makes us heirs of eternal life, which the Holy Spirit gives us access to. It's incredible, incredible. And just like with creation, just like we've seen with creation, our redemption involves each member of the Trinity working in total harmony, working in complete unison. The Father authored the plan of salvation. The Son accomplished our salvation, and the Spirit applies the power of that salvation that creates miraculous new life in every single believer. That's the way God does it. God was completely, directly the three-in-one involved in creation, each member of the Trinity playing a, a very specific and equally important role, and the same is true of our salvation. New life comes from the Father, by the Son, through the Holy Spirit. That's how it always works. And still, um, in the concept of the Holy Spirit and His involvement in our salvation directly, uh, I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. And the Apostle Paul there, in verse 13, starting off, says this, In Him, in Jesus, he's referring to in this passage, in Jesus you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In Him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. Verse 14 says this, The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance. Until the redemption of the possession... To the praise of his glory. So when the Apostle Paul here says that we were sealed with the Holy Spirit at the moment of our conversion, and when he says that he is the down payment of our inheritance, I mean that's kind of an odd way of putting it, right? He's referring, when he says those things, he's referring to an official legal seal that showed ownership of something. In the culture that Paul's writing, in the, in the ancient culture, um, what would happen is anytime something was purchased or something was needing to be designated as someone's certain specific property, uh, the owner or the purchaser would take um, wax and they'd melt it down, they'd get it hot, they'd melt it, and they would put a, a ring or a stamp of some sort into that wax, In that wax, and they would, they would then seal, like you see pictured here, they would seal the document, the document of sale, the bill of goods, as it were. They would seal that so that everybody would know this has been purchased, this is owned, and it was a specific seal designated personally for one owner. So there was no confusion. So everybody knew when they saw a certain seal, oh, that belongs to so-and-so. And And it was especially used of nobles and and rulers and royalty. And so that's what this is talking about here. Uh, As the seal of our salvation, Paul here is telling us that the Holy Spirit is the proof of purchase, so to speak. He's the proof of purchase. Um, He's the mark of the Father's adoption and ownership of the believer. We've already talked about how amazing and, and miraculous and glorious it is that we all can experience the adoption as the sons and daughters of God. Well, the Holy Spirit is the mark or the seal of that adoption. Letting everyone know, reminding us, letting the world know, letting the enemy know, we are God's. We belong to Him. He's our Father. He's got us. And the Holy Spirit is as the seal of our salvation. He's what provides us the security of our salvation. He's what provides that for us, the validity of our faith. That means that that our security, believer, as Christians, it, it doesn't need to come and go with our changing emotions. Our security in Christ, our our security and our salvation, the validity of our faith, it doesn't rise and fall on our personal success or failure. It's not what it depends on. It's all tied to the Holy Spirit as the seal of our salvation. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of glory waiting for us, and He's the divine down payment of the eternal inheritance promised to us and paid in full for us by the Lord Jesus. That's what he is. That's what he does. The Holy Spirit's work in the believer's life isn't just about future glory. Yeah, he's he's the promise of our future glory. He's the seal of that. He's the down payment of that divine inheritance, that eternal inheritance waiting for us. And that's awesome. And that's something to be full of of joy and praise for and to keep in mind and and to draw encouragement from. But the really, really good news, the really practical truth here is that the Holy Spirit provides power for the present. He's not just um, working in, in our future reality. He's working in our immediate one. The Holy Spirit provides power for the present. Galatians 5 Talks about that. Galatians 5, verse 16 says this Paul again writing, and he says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, if you are here today and you are in Christ, you are a genuine, born again believer, follower of Christ, then it should be your primary desire, like at the very top of all you desire as a Christian, should be that you do not gratify or fulfill the desires of your flesh. That should be way up there. You should not want to do that. You should hate the moments when you do. That should be true of you. And if it's not true of you, if you can sit here and claim to be a Christian, but you don't hate your sin and you don't desperately want to not sin and strive against sin, and then when those in those moments in your humanity and your weakness of the flesh, you give in to it, that it wrecks you, if that's not true of you, then you need to seriously go back to the beginning and reevaluate whether or not you are really in Christ. Plain and simple truth. This should be true of you. You should not want to gratify the desires of the flesh. And Paul here, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, you don't want to gratify the desires of the flesh? Okay, good. Here's how you you don't do that. You do walk by the Spirit. If you walk, if you live, that's what walk means. You live your life, every part of your life, constantly, day in, day out, 24-7. You live by the Holy Spirit, not by your own strength, or your own effort, then you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Verse 25 says, same chapter, 5, verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, which we do as Christians, He's what gives us our new life. He's what makes us a new creation, applying the work of Christ. So if we live by the Spirit, and as Christians, that's exactly what we do, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's keep in step with Him. and That means following His lead, giving Him control over every part of our lives, not taking the lead, not going our own way, but rather just staying right with Him, glued to Him, keeping in step with Him. Um, Since it's Mother's Day, uh, I'm sure this is true of you moms, and it's not something that just the kids do with Dad. Uh, When your kids were little... Uh, or if they are little uh, i'm sure you experience that they want to grab on your hands they want to put their little feet on your feet and they say okay now walk and they want you to walk and so when as you walk what what happens to them they're being moved right their feet are in step with your feet they're walking with you right that's the picture here that's what this is all about it's saying we as As Christians that are indwelt by the Spirit of God, which we are, we have the very God of all creation dwelling in us, believer. And, and that's not, but it's not something that's supposed to just be this truth that we kind of keep in the back of our minds. Okay. Yeah. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. No, we're supposed to actively participate with the indwelling Spirit of God in step with Him. As he moves, we move. If he doesn't lead, then we don't go. That's how this is supposed to work. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Here's what all this means very practically. Church, it means we don't need more of the Holy Spirit. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit or for Him to be with us more than He already is. Maybe you've, you've heard that kind of reasoning. and Maybe you've even um, said that at some point. Oh, Holy Spirit, give me more of you. I need more of you, Holy Spirit. And, and there's, there's kind of this pervasive belief among Christianity that that says that's what we need to do. We just need to go after the Holy Spirit and ask for more of Him. Oh, Holy Spirit, I need more of you, more of you, more of you. No, that's not true. We don't need any more of the Holy Spirit. He's already given us at the moment of our salvation. He's given us His whole self. He's given us His very fullness. All of His power is dwelling within you right now at this very moment. You don't need more of Him or for Him to be more with you than He is. No. We need to be with Him more and more. In step with Him more and more. He needs more of us. Yielded to and surrendered to Him and to His power more and more and more. That's what it means to be in step with the Spirit. And to do that, and please, please, everybody hear me on this. This is so important. To be in step with the Spirit, that means, by default, we have to stop being in step with the things that are sinful. We have to stop being in step with the things that are opposite of the Holy Spirit. We have to stop being in step with the things that are contradictory to Him and His work. To be in step with Him. You can't do both. You can't straddle the fence. You can't be in step with the flesh and in step with your sinful nature and in step with the system of the world and in step with the Spirit. No, doesn't work. Always going to be at odds. Always going to be in hostility against one another. Now, last but certainly not least, the Holy Spirit... And I just love this. The Holy Spirit is our personal prayer partner. (laughs) The Spirit of God is our personal prayer partner, Christian. Romans 8, 26. I'm not making it up. Romans 8, 26 through 27 shows us this beautiful reality. Romans 8, 26. The Apostle Paul says, In the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness because we do not know what to pray for as we should. And that's true of all of us. doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, um, we still aren't going to really, this side of eternity especially, figure out this thing called prayer. We're not going to always be immune from praying selfishly or from praying, you know, with, with even possible sinful motive. We're, we're not always going to be expressing exactly what we need to express all the time. Why? Because we're weak. We're, we're human. We're still fallen in, in our flesh. And God, in His grace and His mercy, He understands that. So it says the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, specifically as it relates to prayer, Because we don't know what to pray for as we should. But, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with inexpressible groanings. And verse 27 says, And He, speaking of the Father, who searches our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God wow, this means, Christian, every single time you pray, every time you start your your prayer and your sentence with Father or Heavenly Father or, or whatever, immediately you have the Holy Spirit of God engaging in that prayer with you. Praying for you to the Father as you're praying. Interceding for you. Interpreting for you. Pleading your case for you. I mean, this is just huge. This means that you you don't ever have to be afraid to express your heart and your mind in prayer to God Almighty. Because you have God the Spirit praying for and interceding for you the whole time. And, And I think a lot of you probably have prayer partners. You know, you have one or two people that you you regularly meet with to pray together, or maybe you call each other on the phone, uh, maybe you even just text, hey, um, pray for me right now, I need such and such. And you know you've got those go-to people that serve as prayer partners with you in life. And we need that. Those are great things. If you don't have that, I encourage you, find that. Ask God to send you that. But don't ever think that they can replace the awesome reality of the Holy Spirit as your prayer partner. No one's ever going to be a better prayer partner than God the Holy Spirit, right? You agree with that? And, and church, we need to take advantage of that more. We need to, we need to just grab on to that reality more than we do. I don't think we do that enough. I don't think we understand that enough. I don't think we, we praise Him enough for doing this, for serving this role as our, our prayer intercessor. And that's what He is. And we talked about last week how incredible it is that, that Jesus, God the Son, intercedes for us before the Father. We talked about that at a pretty good length last week. That He's constantly at the, at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. How awesome is it that we have two members of the Trinity constantly interceding for us before the Father. That means you're never, ever alone in this Christian life. And you have everything you could ever need. All in and from God. What does this mean for all of us? This means that this great, holy God, this awesome, mysterious, three-in-one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, deserves our everything. Because this awesome God, this Trinity, has given us everything and constantly, continually gives us everything. Moment by moment here on earth and into and all throughout eternity. What a God. What a God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it so clearly points us, not not exhaustively, but clearly points us to who and what you are. It clearly reveals for us and pictures for us some of these incredible truths and realities of your nature, of your character of your power, of your purpose, of your will, and of your work. Thank you for being so involved in humanity. Thank you for being involved, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, involved in creation, directly, personally, powerfully involved. And thank you for not stopping your involvement and your work at creation, You didn't just create and then leave us to go our own way and do our own thing and be our own people. No, you have directly been involved personally every aspect of our lives. Even when we fell in the garden through Adam and Eve, even when we rebelled against you and chose sin, you didn't stop your involvement and you you had a plan of redemption right away. And then you carried out that plan of redemption. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And every time, one who is still in their sin repents and turns from that sin, receiving your work of redemption, then again, you are at work and you are involved in that personal salvation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And thank you specifically, Holy Spirit, for giving us the power necessary to reject and resist sin. Because of you and your presence in our lives, because of your power, we don't have to sin. We have the ability to choose freedom and to choose serving you rather than serving self and sin. Help us to do that, I pray. Spirit of God, empower us moment after moment to walk by You, to keep in step with You. And thank You for giving us all of Yourself. And by giving us all of Yourself, You've given us all that we could ever need. Thank You, thank You, thank You. Help us to apply these truths to our everyday life as You desire us to do, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.